We've had a commercial break, and now we're <laughs> continuing. Um, announcements. We have women's group on Wednesday. We're meeting at the Richie's, and we're doing our little favorite things gift thing. Um, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. Well, we'll figure it out, as we usually do. Because Kim will probably make some, or she, I think she's, is it a potluck? Wait, we're bad. <laughs> I don't have my phone, it's over back there, so I can't check. But we'll figure it out, so, as usual. No. I never would think that you would say that, Jill, of all of the people. It's Christmas, though. Candy. No, that's so bad. No, not Candy, candy cane. Candy corn and sugar. <laughs> Thank you, Elf. You're going to pour some maple syrup on that just to round it out? Oh, wait a minute. I have mine right here. <laughs> the natural product. So anyway, we ladies are going to have a party on Wednesday, and it will be fun. Kim Sorry, guys. Kim said she's doing ham and vegan stuffing. Okay, so yeah, we need to bring other good. things to go with that. Probably some scalloped potatoes, just saying. And some candy. And Jill's going to bring candy. Jill, you're bringing macaroni and cheese. Oh, I'm bringing macaroni and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> candy and macaroni. Yeah. Thanks for keeping everyone in line, Jenny. Thank you for Facebook events. Yes, the yeah, Facebook okay, event. Yeah, I do remember. Oh. I signed up for macaroni and cheese, yeah. Okay. Yes, very much. All right. So that's happening. What else is going on? So if anybody has an iPhone or iPod Touch laying around they don't use anymore, let me know, and we might use that here to be a dedicated podcast, Podbean recorder thingy. So. Because we're getting new sound stuff. We're getting new toys. Yes. That are less bulky. Okay. Yeah. Um, can you use a tablet for that, or does it have to be an iPhone tablet? Um, we might be able to use something. I, I just have to look. I know I can use an Apple product because I know I've used that, but I, I don't. I, it, if you had something else, let me know and I could, I could see if we could probably could make it work. So. so are we not recording today then? We are recording, but we're just trying to not use someone's cell phone and re rely on that. So we have a device that's here all the time. Because, so, right, I can't surf the web if my phone's over there. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only way we can look at the Bible is on our phones, right, people? <laughs> just kidding. Because like today, Rachel's phone was dead and or almost dead, and yeah, and so it would have died during the recording, that kind of thing. But we are recording because Clint's doing it. Yay! Can't update a YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, prayer requests. Remarkably quiet group. This is going to be interesting. It's finals week for our kids. So okay. We're both in high stress mode. Yeah. College finals is when you have more than one in a day. I hated that. But they'll be home Thursday night. Yay. Are you going to do your any of your family special Christmas things like condense since they're no, just kind of like when they went to college we didn't You have all your fun without them. <laughs> all right, so why don't we pray?
God, thank you for gathering us here today. We thank you um, for this season of Advent, for the waiting. Um, God, we know that we really hate waiting and we don't live in a culture that waits very well. But we thank you, God, that you um, have directed people to create a season where we focus on waiting for you, Lord. Because we need to have that anticipation of your coming, your presence in our lives, um, to help us to walk through those seasons where we feel like we can't hear you or we don't hear you. Because it's in those kinds of seasons of waiting that all of the advents of our time on earth come into practice. Um, so Lord, as we focus on this week of peace today, that we would figure out what it means to be your peace. And Lord, we would extend peace to all of the college students that are uh, struggling to get that last minute studying in and to get their assignments finished and papers and all of the other things that go into final exams right now. We know that they're not filled with peace, but God, let them find peace that passes all understanding because they lean into the promises that you have for them and for all of the work that they've already put in this semester. I pray that they would find um, margin and space for rest and recreation, even in this tough week, um, that they would experience joy and release uh, when that work is done. And we pray for all of those students that are traveling back to their families this week. We pray for safety for them, um, that they may enjoy a really blessed Christmas season with their families. And so God, we lift up this time to you today as we study your word, that we would be able to divide it rightly, that we would look at it with um, truth, that we would look at it with an open mind, and that we would hear what your spirit is speaking in your word. And so I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be holy and pleasing to you, my God and my Savior. Amen. All right. So before we jump in the text today, uh, we've been hanging out with the prophets. And so now we come to the book of Esther. Um, she is not considered a prophet. Um, but it is one of the few books in the Bible that focuses as a woman, as the protagonist of the story. Um, just like we looked at Ruth this summer. Um, and Esther is actually a really cool story. And so I encourage you to, to spend time and to read this book. Um, when I was doing some research about Esther this week, I was learning a lot about the story and how that it may not at all be a factual story. It may be entirely a really great little novella um, to encourage the people of Israel to persist in a very difficult time. And the Jewish people have walked through many, many seasons of difficulty where they've been overcome by conquerors, where they've been kicked out of their land, where they've been attempted to be eradicated by many different leaders, both modern and ancient. Um, but 
their people have persisted. And so the story of Esther has actually turned into a, a really fun Jewish festival, kind of their most fun and joyous and exciting one called Purim. Um, when I, I, I was hanging out with the Browns last night and Emily was telling me about how in their small group when they celebrate Purim, people get really drunk. <laughs> like it's, it is like the festival of excitement and joy because this is when God saved the Jews from a possible total extermination, at least in Persia. So this story takes place when the Jews are in exile. Jerusalem has been conquered. And so a couple weeks ago when I was talking, you know, there, there was like a moment where Jerusalem had not been conquered. The northern kingdom had already been conquered, but the southern kingdom hadn't. And so they were trying to abide with God and make good decisions, but they did not make good decisions and they were conquered. So the Babylonians were the first people that took over Jerusalem and then brought all of the people of Israel into exile into Babylon. But then the Persians took over from Babylon. I mean, it, this is ancient times. There's constant warring, but the Persian culture was the one that rose up and overcame. So the setting of the story is in Persia in the city of Susa, which is where Esther lives. Um, we've got some people that have been allowed to move back to Jerusalem, but there's a, a, a large remnant that have stayed in Persia. Um, and they've married and settled and kind of have become part of the culture there in Persia. So Esther is one of those people that's there, but she's been orphaned. And her uh, cousin, Mordecai, has kind of taken her in and taken, taken her under his wing. Um, and then the, the story of Esther is interesting because I'll talk about it later, but it, it really looks a lot like the Joseph story. There's like some really similar parallels here. But so she, you know, is an orphan, has been taken in by her cousin. Um, the king catches, she catches the king's eye and she's put into the harem. But then again, with some other opportunities, she catches the king's eye again. He has a pretty big harem. <laughs> And she stands out because she's really beautiful, but she's also really obedient. Um, and his wife, Vashti, at the time wasn't so obedient. And so the king gets rid of Vashti, and Esther becomes the queen. Um, and so this entire time, he has no idea that she's Jewish. So this is a big secret. Um, and so then we enter the story, the part that we're at. So I just wanted to give you that kind of background or else you'll have zero idea what's going on in the story. Um, so the political situation at the time, there's been some toss-ups, some changes. I mean, clearly, if he's getting rid of his queen, there's a lot of other stuff going on politically. So there's this man named Haman that uh, rises to power in the political realm. And it's his idea to have the king kill all of the Jews because he's convinced the king that this would be politically expedient for him to do. Um, so this is, this is Haman's plot. Um, and then right before the beginning of this passage, Mordecai has found out about Haman's plot. And so clearly he's really upset. So we're into Esther 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city, wailing with a loud and bitter cry. 
He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther sent for Hatash, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend to her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hatash went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hatash went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatash and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself had not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, I do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence for such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So one of the things I'd said before is that the story of Esther is really familiar. So you've got, like in Joseph's situation, somebody who is kind of at the bottom. He's one of the youngest sons of Jacob. And so he doesn't really have very much authority or power. And Esther is an orphan. She doesn't have any authority or power. And plus, she's a woman. So that automatically puts her at the end of the social ladder. Um, so you see in this story someone who's put into rising levels of social position and given an opportunity to be able to have an influence. And it's not just for herself, and it wasn't for Joseph himself either. Both of them were put in these important influential positions in order to essentially save the Jews because, because Joseph helped save Jacob's family from the famine. He saved the, the Jews. And because Esther is put into this position to make a decision about whether or not to consider dying for the Jewish people, she is putting herself in a position to save the Jews. Um, 
there there is some even like comparisons of the way that these stories are written and the language that they're used that I saw in some of my commentaries where they're putting the Joseph story and the Esther story side by side and it's like the same language it's a little interesting to look at so if you want to dive into some of that deep biblical narrative I'm sad that Steve Ritchie's not in here today because he loves doing that kind of stuff so this is something I learned that I didn't know about Esther this week so I think that's really interesting especially since I love the Joseph story so much. Um, and Esther is really just one in a very long line of especially Old Testament leaders that are reluctant. I mean, how many people did uh, were confronted with a need or a necessary important duty and they would say that they were not capable or there was a reason why they couldn't do this work? Um, you know, they would say that they couldn't speak well, or they couldn't lead people, or they did, it's like they didn't have the capacity to do this. Or they're in a position where, well, I don't have any authority, really, when it comes down to it. I'm just a, I'm just a shepherd boy. I'm just a woman. And there's always an excuse. Um, and one of the, the amazing things about this is I feel like that's who we are as human beings. You know, God has called each of us to amazing roles to play in God's story. But so many times we have excuses about our inability to be able to step into those really amazing things that God has for us because we come up with excuses about not being capable. But when the reality is, is that God fills in those gaps. So when we are called to do that work that God, God sets in our hearts and has gifted us for, when we see those gaps and we're like Peter on the water and we're afraid to walk out or continue walking because we see all of the craziness that's going around it and we have all of the reasons why we can't. But God's like, I make up that gap. Christ is like, come walk to me, look to me, keep your eyes on me. And so yet again, like the biblical story is such a beautiful tapestry that is all woven together. And I know that Esther's story comes way, way before Jesus. But it again speaks that truth to us that Christ is the one that calls us to himself and gifts us to do all these amazing things. And so why should we question that? We should just walk forward in faith because God is the one preparing the way, even when it feels rough and challenging. So like that is a beautiful nugget for today. And if that's the one that you're going to latch onto, latch onto it. Because God has put something in your heart that you need to be doing. And so I'm going to point it all at you. God has put something in your heart that you're supposed to be doing. And go do it. Because God is going to prepare the way for that. Okay. One other thing that I find really fascinating about Esther is God is never mentioned in the entire book. And so there's all this kind of conversation about why is this in the canon? Why did the folks that got together at the Council of Nicaea to put the Bible together um, decide to choose Esther? And I think it's because that more than anything, God is in everything. God is working behind the scenes and God doesn't need to be named in order to be present. That is such a powerful message. For those of us, like in my prayer today, I was praying about those moments where you don't feel God or you can't feel God and you don't experience God's presence. God is still 
working behind the scenes. So in this book, God is present with Esther in all of her circumstances. God is leading Mordecai to support Esther at every turn. God grants the people patience and perseverance in their struggles in being in exile. And God is making a way for peace and ra rather than destruction. So God is working. And I know that I've experienced seasons where I definitely don't experience God there. Where you, you can feel like God closer than your spouse. You can feel God like closer, like right there with you. Those are precious moments. I think when you're that connected to the spirit and you know that God is present, present, present. But there's so many other times where you don't have those experiences of God, where God feels very distant and you're wondering, you know, is God even there? Does God hear me? But God is there. And so sometimes we need to get to the place where we've walked through that valley to look back and see the other side and you can see God's fingerprints on everything. How certain circumstances are arranged such that they work out and there's goodness and beauty even in all the pain and difficulty. Um, and I think those seasons where you can't identify God and you look back and see God help you to build your faith, help you to be able to walk through other challenging seasons that you'll experience in the future, because we all have them. We get right back in the, the difficulty even after we've experienced the joy, because if we live on the mountaintop all the time, we're not going to be able to relate to everyone else. I mean, everybody experiences difficulty and challenge, no matter what kind of status you have or how much money you have. Like, there's always loss. There's always hurt. There's always pain. But when we can see God's presence with us in those quietnesses, in the, in the deep unknowing, I think that sustains us and gives us a kind of peace and just solace and evenness um, that I think a depth that can help sustain us and help us walk with other folks that are dealing with so much pain and difficulty as well. I think it, it increases our um, maturity in our faith. It increases our ability to love other people, um, to be able to be empathetic because we've walked in those shoes. I think that stuff is really, really important. Um, and Brandon talked a lot of last week about shalom and that kind of like deep reconnecting, the, the renewing of the world um, through the, the deep and continuous peace of God. And I think when we walk through difficult seasons where God feels like God is absent, um, I think it helps us to understand more deeply what it means to live in shalom because we can walk in shalom when we have seen how God has worked and know that God will continue to work and is working even when we don't see God. So I thought that was really important. So the, the other major thing in this text, um, we have Esther moving from discomfort to action. So the first thing she does when she hears about this situation 
is sends Mordecai clothes. So he's in the sackcloth and ashes, which has been a theme, I think, for this last fall. I feel like every single one of our passages has talked about mourning and wearing of sackcloth and ashes, and that, I think that's really interesting. Um, but it's because, and Mordecai is mourning purposefully. He doesn't know how the Jews are going to be able to be rescued. He doesn't know how God is going to show up for them. This is, this is a big deal. He is upset. And his cousin sends him clothes. It's, it's almost like she just wants it to go away. She's like, hey, stop mourning, put on your clothes, it'll all be fine. Or maybe she's trying to say, hey, Mordecai, why don't you go talk to the king? Because if you're sackcloth and ashes, you can't enter. That was something that was in the passage. We can't enter into the area around the palace unless you're in clothes. So she may be, be like passive aggressively going, hey, why don't you do that? You can go do that. It'll be fine. You're great. You're, you've got a lot of people that are behind you. Um, you can be that one. But he's like, it's not happening. We're going through this morning. We're going, and almost in a sense, like we're praying. They don't say that they're praying, but they're praying. And all of the stuff that happens about fasting, they don't talk about God. This is not a fast to God, but it is in a lot of ways. They're preparing their hearts to be able to, to move forward in whatever God has for them. Um, I think we understand Esther's discomfort. I think there's a lot of situations in our lives that we're trying to send people close. Um, I think something that comes up a lot in the news, you know, you see folks protesting a lot these days. And I think there's a lot of us, especially who have more privilege than others, who want to say to folks that are protesting, go put on clothes. Go, go, go deal with this injustice in a different way that makes me feel a little less uncomfortable. Go, go talk to your congressmen. Have them fix it. You don't need to be out in the street shouting. That makes me feel uncomfortable. But sometimes we have to experience the discomfort in order for change to happen. And Esther had to experience her cousins and many, many other people's discomfort in order for her to say, no, I'm the one who's in the right position at the right time to be able to do the thing that's going to cost me or could cost me my life. It could cost me everything. And it wasn't until she realized that she was just sitting in her privilege that she was able to really stand up and use that privilege in order to benefit many, many people. And the end of the story, not to spoil it for everyone, is a happy ending, and that's why there's Purim, is that she was able to stand before the king and violate that rule. The king did not kill her and listen to her, and Haman was the one who got killed. <laughs> he ended up being hanged because um, he was the shady character, right? So this is this has all the makings of a really great, perfect ending. I mean, we know that life doesn't always end up that way. Sometimes Esther's stand up and they get killed. We've seen that a lot. 
in our world, even in the present day. Um, but when we're able to throw off that discomfort and move to that action, I feel like that is the extension of God's shalom in the world. That is what it means to be the people that we are called to be. So one of the ways that we as a congregation have responded um, to extension, to the desire to extend God's shalom in the world is by uh, giving to different kinds of organizations. Um, so far this year, we've worked together to give money to Youth for Christ, Mission Resource International, Love Chapel, and Turning Point. And we have found ourselves with an excess of money and we have decided to give additional $2,000 to um, four different organizations. And because as a congregation, we are not ones that have like this very top-down leadership structure, we're very much ones that are about being the community of Christ together. Um, we care about hearing everyone's voice and what they want to do. And so um, these four organizations were chosen by a, a group of our congregation that met together to decide on who we wanted to give more money to. Um, and so these are the four. So the first one is International Justice Mission. So this is an organization that works, obviously, internationally um, to, to eradicate modern-day slavery. They do rescue operations. They do um, lots of uh, work with attorneys. And so a lot of the folks that are on their staff are lawyers and they're trying to help the folks that have been enslaved as well as prosecuting people that are enslaving them. Um, so they're a pretty amazing organization. One of the other organizations is uh, the Utility Helping Hands. And so it's all different kinds of utilities. And especially in the winter, we know that uh, folks' utility bills can be much more than what they're expecting. and with winter starting as early as it has this year, I think that there's gonna be more people in our community that are struggling to pay um, those bills. And so that goes to help folks in that way. Um, the Pollinator Park is a project that Eric started that is uh, going to be created on land that was pretty decimated by the 2008 flood here in town. It's um, over on Pleasant Grove Street behind like where the, the children's, what is that called? The Columbus, the, the Cummins Children, the Tech Center and the, the Children's Development Center. And it's close to the FFY and the FFY and a lot of other community partners have been working together to make this park happen. And it's a pretty exciting project. Um, and so they're at the fundraising stage. So I think it's important for us to remember that um, and building shalom in our world, we build, we build relationship with God, we build relationship with others, we build a relationship with ourselves, and we build relationship with our, um, our environment and all of creation. And so this is our way of um, extending shalom to creation. And then the last group is uh, for, they help work together to make foster care kids have like packages for when they move houses, because a lot of times they don't have just basic things like toiletries and stuff like that in order to to start out in a new house and so this is this is a an organization that gets that kind of stuff together and um jenny and kent have benefited from those things for kiddos that they've had come into their house 
So what I did is I made us little gift tags that are each worth $50. And I think there's enough for everybody to take two. So grab some, pass them around. And so, you know, usually when we are responding to the scripture, we only get to do that through the table. But today we're going to be able to do that through our giving too. Um, because I think it's important to remember all that Christ has done for us on the cross and in understanding how we can be a part of God's, like extending God's amazing work of redemption in the world as individuals, just like Esther was for her people. And so we can do that by taking in our taking in the communion and remembering all of that Christ has done for us and empowering us to then move forward and to choose um, these different community agencies and groups that are working together to, to be able to extend that shalom in the world. And so I will open up the communion table for you to partake. And so after you do that, pick a jar, put, put your vouchers in there. And so you have two, so you can put it in the same one or you can put it in two different ones. It doesn't matter. Um, just as long as we give all of them out, because um, that is the amount for the number of dollars that we have. And so once we have that figured out, I will count them and we'll let Jenny know so she can send out checks to the folks that need to get them. So the night that Jesus betrayed, he was betrayed, he hung out with some friends and they sat around a table and had a meal together. And then he lifted up the loaf of bread and said, this is my body. And all of the disciples were confused. It's like, how is this bread your body? But they just went along with it because they're the disciples and they knew Jesus said weird stuff sometimes. So this is my body that's been given for you. And he broke a piece of bread off. And then he took a cup. They had wine, but we just have grape juice. It's fine. <laughs> and he dipped it in there and he said, this is my blood, what's been shed for you. And he said, take and eat. And even though the disciples were incredibly confused by that, I think this, this table is a, a place of controversy for the church even today. But it's a place where I find grace and peace and life and abundance because everybody can come and take a piece of Christ's body and they can dip it in the juice of his blood and they can take and eat and remember the work that Christ has done and completed on the cross and his death and his resurrection. And they can be invigorated by the fact that each and every one of us is accepted into God's kingdom. And they can be excited by the fact that each and every one of us are called to do the work of extending that kingdom, that building of shalom in the world. That we each have gifts and talents and connections and experiences that perfectly align for us to be able to be a part of that work. And so when you come to the table today, whether it be for just the very minimum sustenance that you need from Christ to be able to get through this day, or if it's being excited about the work that God has called you to do in the world, whatever it is, come to the table. Celebrate God's work. Taste and see that the Lord is good.
the table is open. Come and receive. Sure, he 